Nintendo. Hello. Hello, guten Tag and welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat for the this? week. For the, this, this is the Nintendo this Show. This is the Nintendo Show. <laughs> welcome and the Nintendo Voice Chat. Chad for the week of July 9th, 2015. I am your host, Jose Otero, and I am joined this week by Per Schneider. Hello, Jose. And Per, we might have a mystery guest as well joining oh, yeah? us later on the show, but not yet. Is it the blow-up monkey? Uh, no, it's oh, not. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about Splatfest, which happened recently, yeah. uh, last weekend, 4th of July weekend. And I want to talk to you about, you imported a new Nintendo 3DS. I did, I did. Model. Well, it was your fault, really. Okay, well, we'll get to that. So mm-hmm. kick it off with Splatfest then. This past weekend, we got to play. I do like uh, Splatfest, the, the idea of it. It's, it's an event, right? It's a day-long event um, where you choose a side in a conflict. It's a choice. This week's choice or this Splatfest choice was cats versus dog. You pick the side, cat or dog. You got a t-shirt earlier in the week before the event actually started that you got to level up and get all of the uh, sort of perks for. Yeah. And then on the 4th of July, you went at it and tried to beat the other team. That's when it all counted. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I thought it was really cool. I mean, I, I love the idea of games giving you something special on certain days, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's always such a treat if you boot up a game, especially when it's unexpected. You boot up a game on Halloween and there are pumpkins everywhere or something like that, right? That's right. That's I really right. like that. I like that about Animal Crossing, how it connected to the real world. And so, like, you know, you just kind of have a reason to go back. With Splatfest... Um, I thought it was really interesting. First of all, the game looks really cool yes. during Splatfest. Yeah. Everything is night, mm-hmm. right? Like so, the plaza is all like dan- like crazy dance night neon mm-hmm. Shibuya stuff. There's a lot more lights added at night. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're based off of the lighting is really cool because it's based off of Miiverse posts, which yep. I didn't realize when I played the Japanese version because Japan has already had a Splatfest. That's right. Um, and so yeah, they turned the Mi- the Miiverse posts into like uh, just neon light decorations yeah. all over the place, and it looks like. Shibuya at night. And there were some cool posts, right? Like, because people had to pick their their team, team dog versus cat. There were just a lot of things, you know, a lot of uh, cool drawings of dogs and cats from everything, you know, mm-hmm. were, were highlighted, like, from Animal Crossing, too. And um, it was just really cool to see. But then when you jump into a level, the paint, I mean, it looks like it's glowing. Like, it's so vibrant, and mm-hmm. the colors are so crazy bright at yep. night. It's got this cool, like, almost neon look to it. it, yeah. it I thought it was really cool. When that happens to all the stages, you may have yeah. said that. Um, yeah. Every stage that you play on during Splatfest. So Splatfest being a day-long ev- event means you can't play ranked, and you can't play any other mode. It is Turf Wars, essentially. They haven't said if Splatfest yeah. will force you into the ranked modes of play, like Splat Zones or Tower Control. But uh, the idea is that you are playing Turf Wars on three different maps yeah. for the entire day. And you are ranking up in a very different system that as you rank up, you'll earn more seashells once the event is over. Yeah, and the sea, so you win, basically, depending on your level, right? You you progress from, uh, I forgot what the, the titles so were. I was Team Dog. You, yeah. you made the right choice and you yeah. picked Team Dog, right? No, actually, it was Team Cat. What? My so daughter made out, me. Okay. I'm actually more of a dog guy. Okay, but like, so you start out as a dog fanboy and you move up to a dog right. defender. And I in the UK, there are different champion. names for everything. Yes. So that's in yes. the US. Yeah, and then you end up as king or queen, depending on yes. what. 
that you are. Did she make it to Queen or King? she? My daughter was a, a Queen, like uh, right right away. She just <laughs> she played the crap out of the game. Okay, very very cool. Um, she picked Team Cat and then forced me to do it too because we didn't want to compete with each other. And so at the end of Splatfest, so basically midnight. You know, the game turns off, Splatfest is over. It doesn't tell you yet who has won. Yes. You have to come back a couple of hours later. In the morning, we checked back in, and it said, you know, it tallied the votes and basically said the more popular team of the two was Team Dog, mm-hmm. right, as expected in the U.S. It's uh, a, na- a right. nation of dog lovers. Yes, yes. Um, and Stupid then cats. it takes that, but then it takes the second stat is the percentage of wins. And Team Cat, Cat actually, actually was fifty one percent. Yeah, to forty nine. I was yeah. like, what? There Good were math. less of them, and they and they still Fewer. worked. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know I mean. yeah no, I know what you mean, mm-hmm. but I can't stop. <laughs> um, so, uh, but Team Cat still lost because of that. Even though they give a, they spiffy the second rating, is, I think two x right. So for they, the they multiply it by two in terms of the win percentage. So yeah. the popularity percentage doesn't have a huge weight on it. The the win percentage still counts, but because it was an overwhelming popularity, suck it, Team Cat. That's right. God man, <laughs> but I didn't I didn't realize that beforehand because if you if I had known that popularity play is a, is a factor, I would have mm. picked Team Dog because I I knew it was going to be the mm. more popular team. So yeah. that's good. I mean. Strategy next time, pick the team that you think will be more popular and then, you know, kick butt. Okay. okay. Uh, the actual game, I mean, it was just really fun um, to play and to have this additional ranking mm-hmm. during the event, yeah. you know, to have kind of more of an incentive. I'm not level 20, I haven't been able to play that much yet, but Me to either. players who are yeah. le- uh, already level 20, you have this kind of, you know, sub leveling thing just for the event that is uh, meaningful. I'm surprised the game is holding as much attention despite ha- seeing so many people when I play. Who are level twenty? Yeah, I have to say that. Like, I'm very surprised because once you don't have a ton to unlock, you're kind of relying on the game to unlock stuff as it goes. And Nintendo's been doing that. They've been unlocking weapons. They've been unlocking. Just this past week, we saw two more weapons get added. Yeah, uh, we saw. Um, we've seen stages get added. But I'm just very surprised that they're able to keep those people's attention because I wonder once this is all over how they're going to continue to do so, that. So I think, I mean, obviously they're already thinking about raising the level cap, right? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Nintendo is pretty new to the online arena when it comes to actually, you know, player leveling and all that. And, you know, as we've seen, even the pros like Bungie with Destiny had to make adjustments to certain things pretty quickly. And I, I think Nintendo is going to continue to do that. I think the good news is that what you just mentioned is there have been smaller content updates. Um, I actually started a wiki page on on our Splatoon wiki. So just Google IGN Splatoon wiki. Wiki, added a page just for version updates, I called it. And they have been, you know, obviously the, the kind of the two big updates, and there have been at least five content updates, smaller releases where they added a stage, or like yesterday they added, or, or this week they added two more weapons, mm-hmm. right? The yeah. splooshomatic. <laughs> okay, then. Yeah, um, yeah. No, but I, I think it's, it's really cool. And what you're saying, uh, what we're seeing, I think, is people who are already level 20 still go back in. Yeah. First of all, there, there are there are a variety of modes now, right? Like you can play, um, you know, you, you can ride your tower or you can do territory, all that kind of stuff. But now you can also try your luck at new weapons. And when you're, you're already maxed out, I think it becomes more of a game of experimentation too. Yeah. And Turf Wars that. is that much fun. I mean, yeah. I feel like I'm not that pulled towards ranked play. I know you told me your daughter is, is holding it down in tower control. Yeah. Whereas I... Still haven't found enough reasons to want to play that mode, but Same it's here. mostly because once it gets that competitive, once it becomes all or nothing, in, in ranked play in Splatoon, 
you get very little, if almost nothing, as a reward if you lose. I feel less incentivized to spend time in there if I'm not level 20. That's, yeah. that's the reality of the situation for me. That makes sense. But, um, but that's why, and that's, I think, though, smart setup that you're, you're still kind of like you're having fun, you're playing it more leisurely, you're leveling up. And I think once you hit level 20, there's probably I a good reason. I think that's just a testament to Turf Wars yeah. and how good it is. I, yeah. mean, I feel like it, it is a mode that I, I feel like anyone can enjoy. Like I have a lot of fun with that mode versus trying to be a little bit more focused and a bit more team-oriented in a yeah. space where I don't have the tools to maybe coordinate as well. Yeah, and, and that's it's fair, right? Like mm-hmm. the with when you're trying to hold the tower, it really becomes apparent that you want to ask another player for help or you're saying, hey, there's somebody hiding yeah. right in or front. Watch, like, left you know, side, so, right side. So, yeah. and, and the, I was actually watching my daughter play and I was like, oh, there's a sniper up on the tower. Get the sniper, right? Like mm-hmm. I was almost like her, her player two in-game. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It's still, you know, it's still super fun. And I, and you know, last time I mentioned, hey, I don't know if the roller is going to be good for that mode. My daughter's killing it. Yeah, with you the roller. told me with the she roller. She is. I, I mean, it. she clears the way. She has somebody ride the tower, and she clears the way. And if the other players are smart, they they know to stay on the tower while she does that. Clears all the snipers out, comes back, hides behind, like walk, walks behind the tower, painting the floor, and, and it's just really effective. Right. But um. No, I, I I think we should talk about the super sea snails for a second. Yeah, so, go for it. Like depending on your rank and team affiliation in Splatfest, in Splatfest. you get a reward of super sea uh, sea snails, and those you take to the, I mean the urchin guy, right? Like in the uh, spike in mm-hmm. the back alley, yep. and he will he will actually add slots to your favorite equipment. That's right. So if you have a piece of equipment that had a lower amount of slots, so for mm-hmm. example, beginner gear only has a primary slot and maybe one secondary slot. The best gear in the game has three alternative or secondary slots. Yeah. You were able to do that. So, for example, one of the pieces I upgraded immediately once this happened was there is a King of Games t-shirt. That yeah. is a real t-shirt Miyamoto has actually worn. It has like uh-huh. two war pipes. And I think it was for Mario's 25th anniversary, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, that t-shirt's in the game. Oh, that's great. And so I just leveled it up using the the additional sea snails to get more perk slots for it. Now, interestingly enough, though, it doesn't add stars to that equipment. It adds slots. Mm-hmm. And if you want to re-roll the piece of equipment entirely, let's you, say you have a piece of equipment that you've already finished doing all the work on, you can use a sea snail too. Which re-roll. is really cool because like, if you have a favorite design, right, like that some people have been complaining about that, I really love the goggles, but the you know the specials are crap. Like I don't I don't mm-hmm. like what I what I've got. You can re-roll them now until you get something good and then you can build that one up. Absolutely. And so, you know, like for example for tower control it's good to have stealth swim. It's good to have stealth jump, right? right? Where you you can join somebody on the tower, but they don't see that you're landing there after they killed your buddy. And like, so if you have favorite equipment, you can you can try and get that combination. Uh, so I'm down. hoping they commit to once a month for Splatfest. And I think in Japan they may have quietly done that, but I don't think they have committed to that anywhere else. Feel free to correct me if that's incorrect. Mm-hmm. Uh, email us nvc at ign.com. But from what I can tell, so Japan had. A Splatfest in June. Yeah, uh, I think it was right before E3 or right after. I was forget. that the ramen? Uh, no, one? no, the recent one was ramen. Uh, it was two flavors of udon noodles, and okay. they're actual udon noodles you can buy in the sh- in the store. Yeah, but there was a red label and a green label, and you basically chose a side. I see um, a Doritos one coming. Oh, imagine uh-huh. cool oh ranch versus nachos. Uh, it's brought to you uh-huh. by Doritos. Did you notice too that each of the uh, players in the game are also wearing little wristbands, like they're at a little event? Yep. Yeah. Even small no, touches the, like that are just very the tension and like it's it's one one of those games where I feel like you know we had a lot of questions when it launched will they be able to support it for a long time and they have been I think the core the core of the game is really good and mm-hmm. it like it's something that definitely grew on me and I find all these little 
cool little touches in their game and like all the cool little ideas that that actually have a meaningful impact on yeah, it. Yeah, so, even the way it uses me versus graffiti constantly. Yep. It's not just for Splatfest. It's been, it everywhere. There have been some interesting yeah. oh, graffiti yeah, too. There has been. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Every yeah. once in a while something p- slips through. Especially now with a Splushomatic. Oh, good yes. lord. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I hope they commit to a monthly schedule for Splatfest and I don't think they have yet. I hope they do. I just think it would be a fun way to keep that community going. But at the end of the day, that's up to them and I almost wonder what happens when you reach that point where all the equipment has been seen, all of the all of the weapons have been released, specifically more all of the equipment that you wear because I feel like the, the fashion choices are what keep you going, right? You go, I like that hat. Now I'm going to start leveling that. Or I'm going to use ah. sna- sea snails to continue leveling that. Come on, you know what, what happens. What happens when all that's done though? Could, like, they'll give ha- you a Samus suit. I they'll give you a Varia suit. Or, and then you'll go like, Samus oh my God, t-shirt. I got to get this Mario outfit for my character. It's well, going to happen. Well, I'm waiting on yeah. it. Uh, hopefully no, sure. we'll, we'll hear more in a, August. All right, so then let's good move game. over to good yeah, game. good good game. Let's move over to uh, you bought an an import new Nintendo <laughs> 3DS. I did not believe you. I figured <laughs> you were not going to do it. I what? was like, he's just saying that. I he's always not. do. Come so on. last week, if you listen to the program, you know that we talked about Fire Emblem Fates slash Fire Emblem <sighs> If. Pear became insanely jealous and then ran over to. Amazon? I know. I actually bought Amazon. it through Amazon. Amazon. Okay. You know, I, I import through a couple of websites like Play Asia is, yeah. is reliable. I usually go through Play but Asia. Amazon, you know, you get a, you could get an import white uh, 3ds, which yeah. I really like the white one because I already have a, a black small old 3ds, and so I wanted to get the white one, yeah. and it or, has the uh, colorful Fami- Super Famicom buttons. Super Famicom yeah, buttons. good choice. So the yeah, white. no, I, I got it. There it was 160 bucks, and uh, then basically I just used my credit card to download games from the Japanese. And you can. You can use you a domestic card uh, on that unit in order to purchase games. Um, and we've already talked about Japan's got it great this summer in terms of Rhythm Heaven, yeah. uh, Fire Emblem. Uh, what was the next one? I forget. Animal Crossing, Happy Home Designer yeah, is coming they, out at the end of the month in uh, July. I mean, there are a lot of crazy games with strange-looking cats and stuff that on too. the eShop that yeah. I haven't tried yet. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of cool stuff. Um, you know, like I don't think importing the new 3DS is for everyone. Like playing a game like Fire Emblem, it is in Jap- in Japanese, and it is it uses a lot of kanji and even just the startup process for yep. these machines. Like you'll be signing up for a newsletter that you don't want if if you can't <laughs> read things. You can or, read it. No, they. I mean, I mean, it's a lot. It's, it's it's a lot of kanji. There is a lot of setup now with the 3DS. Yeah. Well, uh, we've heard from some folks who have either emailed or asked on Twitter. Uh, should I do this too? I don't recommend it 100% because you are, I mean, you're taking a risk there. You're spending 100, what'd you spend? 160 bucks yeah. on this thing? 180 bucks on this thing? Yeah. Plus tax, plus import, whatever. Um, I also firmly believe the smaller model still coming here this year. I still think that this is going to show up during Christmas time as an item. If it doesn't, then it's never coming out here. That's, it's that's gotta how be. I, see it. I would say, yeah. If you're really interested in the machine, just kind of for posterity's sake, you want to own it. Wait till Christmas and see if it comes. And if out they in say the nothing, then if you um, pull the trigger on it, I don't blame you. Yeah. And like, and if, if you, you you can always own it if you want a European one, right? Like, but then you're still stuck having to download the games from the eShop or importing games. I mean, they'll at least be in English. But it's just, you know, I think at this point, wait for the next one. The the three D the new 3DS XL is great. It's a yeah. good machine. And truthfully, for anyone who's on the fence still about new 3DS, I, I think you should wait. I mean, they're not giving you exclusive games to chase after yet. There aren't a ton of reasons to own it yet. So yeah. if you're waiting for the smaller model... Why go? Why go early? Why import Only it? if you're like me, it. where you sit in a room with Jose, and he keeps on talking about Fire Emblem, 
and you cry and you can't bitter take tears. It I can't. No. So yeah, I started it. Um, I started. It's great. I'm yeah, very very happy very with good. it. I downloaded Rhythm Tengoku immediately, of course, okay, which um, is a big hit in Excellent. my house as well. All so right, cool, yeah. cool. Well, if you are interested in importing, you should do a Google search. Uh, in fact, if you head on over to NeoGaf, there is a helpful Japanese new 3DS import thread. You should check that thread. There's a bunch of Q&A questions in there. There's a bunch of you should try this if you're considering this. Cool. Do the homework. But at the end of the day, I don't recommend you do this unless you're absolutely sure. Just, again, there's cost involved. And maybe this thing is coming out here. So why take it's that risk? Gotta, it's got to. It has gotta. to. It yeah. has to. We believe it. And you know what else we believe it's time for? It's time for a break because break we have a guest time. joining us in the middle of the show. So when we come back, the special guest will be revealed more when we return. Otero here with Per Schneider. What's up, Jose? And joining us for this segment is a very special guest who's only here, folks, got to set this table straight, to talk about Nintendo's sort of online approach, competitive play, Evo, San Diego Comic-Con, uh, is none other than Bill Trennan, Senior Product Marketing Manager at Nintendo Treehouse. What's up, Bill? Hello, everyone. How are you guys doing? Doing well, man. How's, how's things for you? Things are things are great. We're, you know, the the hard work of E3 is over. the The weather is beautiful up in Seattle, and we're getting ready to hit our our sort of fun time of year with things like San Diego Comic Con and Evo and and whatnot coming up. So I'm excited. Awesome. Nice. For those who are only listening to NVC, we've got uh, we've got Bill looming behind our <laughs> behind our heads on a on a monitor here. So it's as if he was here. Yeah, pretty much. All right, so then uh, let's talk a little bit about your plans for Comic-Con right now. So Comic-Con is in full effect in San Diego from July 9th, which is today, to the 12th. And you guys have some events going on where you're showing some Mario Maker, some Wooly World. Why don't you talk a little bit about those plans? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, San Diego Comic-Con for us is is really fun because it's the first place that we're able to take some of the games that we had at E3 and let consumers go hands-on with them for the first time. Um, obviously, with Mario Maker, we were able to do that at the Best Buys during E3. But for San Diego Comic-Con, we're going to have... Um, there's some little stage presentations around Mario Maker, somewhat similar to what we did in the E3 booth. But we're going to have a bunch of units set up where people are going to be able to come in and design levels and play levels and all of that. Um, and then we also have um, a sort of a... Obviously, you mentioned Yoshi's Woolly World. Um, Zelda Triforce Heroes is going to be there. Nice. Mm. So... We'll have a bunch of a uh, bunch of folks playing Zelda there as well, and then the other thing that we like to do with Comic Con, just because there's so many kids and families, and it's such a social event, is we like to do a lot of stuff with the characters, but we also like to have some competition there. So, uh, the thing I'm probably most excited about for Comic Con is that we have for the first time ever a U13 under 13 tournament for Smash Brothers, Very nice. um, and and that's going to be on Saturday. So. I'm really excited for that, and we're actually we're going to be um, live streaming not the entire tournament, but we're going to be doing check-ins over Periscope, and then the plan is to using Periscope live stream the top eight matches. Nice. And nice. where where can we find the Periscope streams? 
uh, on uh, Nintendo's Periscope channel. So you'll you would download the Periscope app, perfect, um, and then go to our our Periscope channel and be able to tune into those. And I think there will be. We also have there's an Amiibo team tournament in Smash Brothers as well. So that. you plus yeah. plus your Amiibo, and uh, I've you know I was I've been kind of practicing uh, myself a little bit of Smash Brothers lately, and and I've been training against my own Amiibo, which apparently I did a very good job of training. <laughs> And now I'm wishing I had gone to San Diego to, to enter this tournament with my Amiibo. Nice, nice. <laughs> would, you, yeah. would you say your Amiibo is a trend troll? Yes. Yep. It's, well, it's crazy. I've, I somehow managed to give it, uh, I, I trained it up to level 50, and then it has these um, effects where it can do critical hits and does extra damage, and I've built mm. up its, its attack power. And I, I can literally, this thing, if it hits me like once or twice, can instantly take me up to 60% damage. So it's, nice. uh, it's very awesome. powerful. Yeah, so, well, I saw uh, earlier today already, uh, uh, you know, on Thursday, we streamed the uh, Mario Maker um, demo on IGN as well with a new custom level that was just uh, devilish again. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that game. It's looking really cool. So, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, go go search for the latest Mario Maker footage. We've got the VOD up, too. That's right. So then, Bill, how long has this been the approach with Comic-Con, like having consumers go hands-on with this? I feel like has this been within the last five years, maybe a little longer than that? Um, yeah, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of because Comic Con is it's if you don't have a space at Comic Con, it's tough to get space, and uh, and we had been at Comic Con for a few years, and then we gave up our spot, and I think probably about five years ago now um, we got back in, and uh, and so we have a space that's on the show floor within the Comic Con exhibition hall that's dedicated entirely to Super Mario Maker. And then we also have the the lounge in the Marriott that's adjacent to the convention center, and that's where we have a lot of different games in there, and and things like the Smash Brothers tournament, and there's some Splatoon tournaments. There's some sort of like mini tournaments with Splatoon that'll be happening, and then we're also going to be running a a Pokemon tournament using Pokemon Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire in that lounge as well. Um, and it's just a really fun space. Uh, it's it's a pretty big pretty big ballroom and. It's just constantly packed with people. So you were last 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 I saw you, uh, we were talking about Splatoon, and you were saying you couldn't wait to uh, to get away from me and get go back home and play it. Right? Did you yes. uh, did you play Splatfest? And uh, what team did you pick? Um, well, I picked I picked Team Dog. I uh, I ended up. I, yeah, I ended up though not playing Splatfest because I spent most of my weekend building a fence and <laughs> practicing Smash Brothers. Um, because I, I dis- this is the first year actually that I'm not going to Comic Con in quite a while, and instead next week I'm going to be going to Evo because I want I wanted to see Evo and kind of go see what that scene is like and support them. Um, and since I was going to be going to Evo to check it out, I decided on a whim to enter the tournament. And so I've kind of been trying to practice and get get my smash back in shape so i don't embarrass myself too much so i need to ask why you entered evo i mean i'm just that that is a very competitive scene and i mean i've heard you can play smash brothers but man like what what, was this to like reclaim reggie's honor here like what's going on uh well you know it's it's not the first tournament that i've entered um i've i've played uh tournaments at pax prime in the past way back when when pax prime was originally in in the bellevue convention center um and and so but it's it's been quite a while and you know We've always played a ton of Smash in the Treehouse, and we continue to play a lot of, of Smash Brothers on Wii U. And I just wanted to go mainly to to kind of 
see how I can do and see if I can make it out of pools or not. And, and also just to call attention to a really great community that's, that's built up competitive smash, um, on their own. And, uh, and that I think is, is kind of what I'm really excited about is seeing what we can do to support a community that's already existing, that's really built itself. Um, but do it in a way where, you know, through our activity at Comic-Con, we're really trying to find some up and coming smash players and give them a place where they can come and practice and, and play competitively without getting completely destroyed by the pro guys. And then at, at a place like Evo, um, you know, we try to, you know, leverage some of the fun and excitement coming out of the Nintendo World Championships and steer some of that excitement towards competitive Smash and trying to get more people watching that. So whenever I, you know, in, in Japan, I, I saw for the original N64 Smash Brothers, I saw an under 13, I, I don't know what the age was, but it was Little Kids Tournament. And like, mm. I don't know, man, those guys were scary good. They were so good. I, I think we'll be surprised at what we'll see from some of the younger players too. Yeah, well, it's you know it's funny. Um, my my own son plays Smash, and uh, he he doesn't want to play only against me because uh, he's he's convinced that I'm going to be a mean father and and destroy him. Um, but and so usually what he wants to do is him and his friend will sit down and they'll team up against me. And even when they were doing that, you know, I would still usually win. But I've been finding lately that that's not the case as much anymore. Oh, yeah. No, they're catching up. Yeah, folks definitely should keep their eyes peeled then on pool D46, where you see Bill uh, putting in work or getting work. <laughs> yeah, uh, but what's, what, what character? Like, how is it going to work? Like, yeah, what character are you playing as? Uh, so, or is that a secret? Do you not want to give away your strategy? Well, with... It's 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 relatively well known that initially I started off playing uh, Rosalina and Luma, and I still play a fair amount of Rosalina and Luma. I've since transitioned so that I'm probably playing a lot more Yoshi, um, more than anything else. And Yoshi was a character I played a fair amount of in Melee, um, and so I'm going to go with the potential of playing either one of those characters. I'll probably start with Yoshi, and see how it goes. And then I may have I may have one or two other characters in my pocket. Should I should I need to pull them out as well? So so, we'll see. so you're saying Toph, a uh, good friend of the show, should watch out is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I imagine that he's he may want a rematch at some point. I think both him and Bobby Scar. <laughs> yeah, I've heard I've heard about that match. All right, so then Bill, <clears throat> um, this is Nintendo's second time, to my knowledge, sponsoring Evo. Uh, you guys also sponsored last year. Uh, but you, um, with some publishers, they provide setups for uh, the games that are at the tournament. Uh, my understanding is with Melee, you guys can do that. And it's sort of understandable, right? Older hardware, a game that's out of print. Does that change this year with Smash Wii U? Um, so, you know, we kind of, it depends on the tournament. We also, we partnered with Apex earlier this year as well, which is really more of a Smash dedicated tournament and, and a pretty big one at that that happens earlier in the year. Um, and they had a partner that they worked with who provides the hardware, and so we kind of worked with them to ensure that they had what they needed um, and, and try to partner with them to get hardware to them to make sure that Apex was going to run smoothly. Um, and I'm not entirely certain, but I think Evo works with that, that same partner. Um, and so it, there's, it may be that the, the equipment that they got through us um, for Apex is the same equipment that's getting used for Evo, but I'm not, and I haven't confirmed that. So, mm -hmm. um, okay. yeah. So we are, you know, we're looking at ways to, particularly with the tournaments that we're partnering with, um, you know, there's 
there's we're we're not like full on trying to take over a tournament or and we're not going really heavy into into investment in it but we are trying to find ways that we can partner with them to help make it easier for them to run the tournament and that we can try to help get more views and get more people interested in watching the tournaments got it, got it. yeah yeah smash is a good pick uh, I, i'd be curious to see you know how splatoon um how splatoon fares in the tournament scene over the over the next couple of months you know for the for the team play tournaments Yeah, we're we're looking at ways to to try to do that. It's a little bit complicated because of the the online setup, but um, yeah. yeah. So, but we are we are you know we've got some a, a version of Splatoon that's a, a particular demo version that we're using down at uh, San Diego Comic Con for some of the challenge type tournaments that we're doing down there, um, and uh, and we're going to see how that goes and then see what option we have for for trying to do another tournament with Splatoon in the future. Um, you know, Pear, I think. Hopefully, I'm speaking to your heart when I say this, but to me, the the one game that I've always wished would would really make it in esports is Pikmin 3 Bingo Battle. Oh and man, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I played a ton of that too. Nice, nice. Good choice. Good choice. It's just you can be so mean in that game. You can. Oh, I love it. Like, yeah, it's just so good. No, no, absolutely. All right, so then uh, will we continue to see then sort of uh, Nintendo participating in in different ways with different tournaments? You know, for to sort of um, tap into these communities uh, around competitive play and esports with regard to Nintendo franchises. Is that a thing that we're going to continue to see past 2015? Yeah, you know, and we've, we've actually done it in the past too, um, and we tend to do it more at events like PAX and, and San Diego Comic-Con. Um, obviously last year at San Diego Comic-Con, pre-launch we held a Nintendo 3DS Smash Brothers tournament um, that was open to the public. Um, which was the sort of the first place where the public could play the 3DS version hands-on um, and was the first, you know, it was more of a real tournament versus the Invitational that we held at, um, at E3 last year where we, we hand-picked players. This was really just open brackets. Anyone could come and register. Um, and, and now we see uh, the guy who won that tournament, his name is Larry Lur, and he's... That. He's currently one of the uh, the top players in in Wii U Smash. Hmm. Uh, he played really well at CEO recently, and and is probably going to be one of the guys challenging at Evo uh, next week. Nice. But, is Larry yeah. still playing as Bowser? I'm trying to remember. I think uh, he was last year. He he played. Yeah, I think last year. You know, coming out of it, which is really what's to me is particularly interesting about just watching the scene develop is that coming out of you know E3 last year, it was, Bowser was all the hype. Um, and and so at that that 3DS tournament, there were a ton of people that were playing Bowser, and I think Larry Lure actually won with Bowser. Um, and and then it kind of evolved, and there was a point, you know, where uh, obviously Diddy Kong was sort of seen as as the top tier character, and but with balancing and patches, now that's shifted a little bit, and you even see that Zero, who was maining Diddy Kong, and is is a, you know even at this point essentially unbeatable at, at Smash Wii U. Um, he's now shifted from, from Diddy Kong over to Sheik uh, and, and is using Sheik primarily. Um, so, and, and, you know, going back even further than that, we also, um, we've held tournaments at PAX Prime in the past as well. We did uh, a Kid Icarus tournament um, for Kid Icarus Uprising when that game launched on 3DS a few years back um, at PAX Prime. And we had tournaments for that elsewhere in the country. And in fact, one of the The guys that won the the championship for the Kid Icarus tournament that we held uh, is a guy who goes by DeBuzz, who is the top Rosalina player That's right. in Smash Wii U. 
Yeah, I, uh, I saw DeBuzz just play recently in a tournament, I believe, last weekend, um, and he did really well there. Um, okay, then, Bill, uh, if we can shift gears a little bit to talk a, a little bit about you. Um, <laughs> oh, we're not here to talk about me. <laughs> uh, well, maybe a few questions just about you. I mean, I'm aware that you started uh, with yeah, Nintendo. Yeah, I've got a couple, too. Yeah, in uh, October of 1999, if my uh, research is correct. And uh, I just wanted to ask a little bit about um, sort of where you started in the company and how you moved up to be Miyamoto's translator, uh, if that's okay. So uh, your research is off by a year. It was October of 1998. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, had, uh, I was just coming back from living in Japan at that point and was looking for jobs in Seattle. And, and I had actually... It was 98, and, and in, when I was in Japan, I had done some work um, building web pages in English and, and Japanese and was trying to find work doing web localization because that was obviously the, the peak of the then tech bubble at that point um, and was applying for jobs, and this one company said, oh, we don't have a job for you in web localization, but there's a contract job for a translator at a software maker that we're trying to fill. Would you be interested in, in interviewing for that? And, and I said, yeah, sure, I'll, you know, I need a job, so I'll, I'll interview for whatever. And the, that job was um, Pokemon-related at Nintendo, and I interviewed for it, and it was a contract job, and I didn't hear back, and I didn't hear back, and I thought, oh, okay, well, I must have, I must have bombed that interview or something because there was no response. And, and ultimately, and I heard back from this company, and they said, well, um, they don't, they don't want to hire you for the, the contract position. And I said, oh, well, okay. They said, they just want to hire you. Oh, wow. And so they hired me in, they were, they were going to hire me into the localization group, but they had some paperwork to process. So in the meantime, they put me on contract working on Ocarina of Time debug. Um, and so we were testing Ocarina of Time um, sort of in, and this was like in the August, September timeframe prior to the November launch that year. Um, and that included uh, translating conference calls basically on a nightly basis with um, the dev team uh, and all the directors, which included Mr. Miyamoto and Mr. Aonuma and, and Mr. Koizumi from EAD Tokyo and whatnot. They were all on the team. And, and so I was translating those calls. And then I got hired into localization. And, um, and then and I got officially hired, as you noted, in October. And in January... Um, so literally, I'd, I'd been there for three months. Um, this this guy who I hadn't met before, he's kind of he's bald, um, and it's, <laughs> his name's Jim Merrick. Uh, oh, good he, old Jim. He comes walking up to my desk, and he says, "You're Bill, right?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm Bill." And he says, "You speak Japanese, right?" And uh, and I was young and naive at the time, so I said, "Yeah, yeah, I speak Japanese." And uh, and the lessons I've learned since from this encounter is to whenever anyone asks me a question is to always ask why are you asking that question <laughs> uh, because the next the next words out of his mouth were how would you like to translate for Mr Miyamoto at the GDC and uh, and I said well what do you what do you mean what like what kind of translation he said well he's going to be doing a keynote speech and I said oh, okay wow. how how many you know how how many people are we talking about like what's what's the audience size. He says, "Oh, you know, not not too big, maybe maybe five thousand. And uh, and I said, uh, "Yeah, you know, I've I've never done anything like that wow. before, like quite that big." And and they basically kind of were like, "Well, you you need to, we need you to do this." And uh, and so I I said, "Okay," and 
and it was I mean it was a lot of fun we went down and and we practiced for a few days I you know he sent Mr. Miyamoto sent the transcript of his speech uh, in advance and I translated it um, and uh, and it was it's kind of funny because I you can find this on the the internet it's on YouTube you can go find this this keynote that he delivered um, and listening back to it now, um, I'm kind of amazed because he there were some pretty technical moments in this speech where he's going into programming talk and and stuff that you know I'm like, how did I even know how to translate this at the time? I still don't get it. <laughs> well, who would ever know? Uh, yeah. but I, what I find really interesting is that um, you know we had uh, when I was on the Nintendo beat back in you know 90 uh, also 98 uh, covering Ocarina of Time uh, Miyamoto was uh, he was using Minagawa-san a lot for his translators right and Minagawa among the press was infamous for basically whenever Miyamoto would give a very long answer to a question give you like the two word translation like Mr. Miyamoto says no <laughs> and you're like, well, f for sure, he didn't just say that. And so, I mean, that must have been interesting for you to be kind of cast into that. Not only did you have to translate, and I think pe people, uh, I, I mean, people can obviously tell that you're a very good Japanese speaker. My wife, who's Japanese, wh whenever I watch, um, uh, you know, events where you're translating, she, I mean, she was convinced that you grew up bilingually in Japan, that you were actually part Japanese because your Japanese so good. But like, how how quickly did you learn like the the marketing limitations on where you should be careful about translating something? Well, it's kind of interesting because with with Mr. Miyamoto, the approach that I always take is that it's important to not just get across his point, but to also get across his personality, yeah. uh, right? And part of that, and, and Pierre, you probably know this, because, um, you know, Japanese is an implicit language, and so there's oftentimes, you're talking about something, and there is a related subject that you, is implied and uh, is background information for the comments being made, but is not overtly spoken. Yeah. Uh, and so... And so for me, it's really important to, you know, when translating for someone, if I know that there's something that he's explaining that in his mind he's, he's thinking of the background for that, is I always kind of, a, as an aside, will be sure to include the context of what he's referring to so that the person who's hearing the answer kind of understands what he, where he's coming from. So, uh, so what you're saying is your translation is the same length as what uh, Mr. Miyamoto is saying, but you may have added something and omitted all the crucial details? No, no, never. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you ever had to do that, though? I mean, I've, I've been to a few interviews even recently where, you know, a... Uh, a prominent developer would say something more than the marketing people in the room wanted wanted him or her to say. Have you ever run into that, or not really? No, I mean not a whole lot. There are sometimes where he'll give an answer, and and because what's interesting with him is he actually understands a fair amount of English, mm -hmm. and so most of the time when we're at E three, I, I don't translate questions for him because he understands the questions most of the time. Um, but sometimes he'll go off on on an answer that doesn't totally get to the root of the question or maybe it was a misinterpretation of the question and so then I'll kind of steer him back and say no no this was what the question was um, and uh, and then I may not translate the portion that he answered that that was not the answer to the question but that's more out of out of convenience than anything. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, but what a what a cool I mean just what a cool of turn of events you know obviously you started in a different role and you're you're not Mia, Mr. Miyamoto's translator you obviously have a day job right but it's it's just kind of cool how that became part of your your job through 
a simple and innocent generic question. <laughs> who, by the way, we, we interviewed on N64.com very often. He never told us anything. Uh, that was the, the age of the Jedi and a reps where Perrin and Jim, you could interview them for two hours. And you walked out and you're like, damn it, there was nothing in it. <laughs> we always thought we had something until yeah. we did the transcript. Yeah. Wait, so Bill, you never inherited the power of the Jedi uh, that uh, IGN <laughs> loves to refer to? Of, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> So, so wait, any other fun Jim Merrick stories then? It sounds like that was, that, that was quite a request that led to a pretty big piece of your career there. Well, yeah, you know, and I always, I always kind of, whenever I see Jim and, and Perrin, I, I try to remind them of what they've done for me and what they've done to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there, there are many good stories that uh, I, I wish I could share, but uh, I keep them close. So. Yeah. No, it's. I, I was thinking about uh, about Jim uh, the other day. We were talking a little bit about that. You know, Jim was at one point. I think in the early GameCube days, he was working on the Nintendo Network plan, right? Mm-hmm. Like that. There was the aspiration to take GameCube online and make it a much bigger part of GameCube um, to play online games. It must be really cool for him to now see the success of games like Mario Kart and Splatoon that are obviously very, very active online. Not, you know, not to speak of Smash Brothers and and Pokemon. Um, but but it's kind of cool to see all that uh, come to fruition now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, Bill. So then let's talk a little bit um, about uh, earlier. You mentioned tapping into sort of the Smash Brothers community, which uh, you know I, I believe in 2014 uh, there, it was about 13 years strong supporting Smash Melee. Uh, and I bring up 2014 because that was the year that Nintendo had the Smash Brothers Invitational at E3, which was something we had never seen a publisher do at E3. Can you talk a little bit about the plan, the approach, like when did this start in terms of planning at NOA and then the execution for that plan? Oh man, now you're testing, you're testing my memory. Hmm. Um, it, you know, I think it, uh, it started, you know, as with a lot of RE3 planning, uh, it started fairly early in the year that year. And um, the thing for us was we, you know, we knew about the Smash community and their passion for Smash Brothers, um, and we really want. There were two things that we wanted to do, and the first was we kind of wanted to recognize that community um, and what some of the key players in that community had done to help build it, um, and and we, so we wanted to do that, and we also wanted to introduce that community to Smash Brothers for Wii U in a way that would help get them excited for the game. Um, and so that was that was really kind of the crux of it. And we talked about you know how would we do this, and and there you know we probably had discussions around doing something a little bit broader, and ultimately decided in on you know we wanted to invite you know 16 of the the best players and some of the best known announcers, and really get, shine a light on the the type of competition and fun and community that's been happening around Smash Brothers for a very long time. And in fact, one of the, I think, probably one of the best moments of the entire tournament was uh, Mr. Mr. Sakurai was backstage and he was kind of standing back and, and watching things uh, from backstage. And there was a point where everyone who was participating in the tournament, they all got together for this great big group hug. And Mr. Sakurai saw that and was snapping pictures of it and was just so impressed at, you know, just what that community really meant to one another and what the game had brought to them. And that, I think, was probably, for me, the best moment of the entire tournament. 
was there ever pushback over it being Smash Brothers, being this big project that uh, for Nintendo, I mean, Smash Brothers is is a very big deal. I mean, it's up there with, you know, the Mario and the Zelda sort of projects of like top secret, mm-hmm. like just we want to keep this under wraps as long as we can. No, I mean, could we knew uh, we were we were going to be coming out and and showcasing Smash Brothers that year, um, and I think that was we'd already probably shown off the game in video form uh, the previous year. I think we had the uh, we had the presentation that we did in our booth um, in probably 2013, and and Mr. Sakurai came out and we showed off the the Wii Fit Trainer introduction video and the Mega Man introduction video, and he played a match there in the booth. Probably destroyed Nate Bildorf if my memory memory serves correctly, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we weren't worried about it from that perspective. I think it was. You know, certainly it, this was the first hands-on with the game, and um, and so we wanted to make sure. You know, we we really had to set it up so that how do we do this in a way that we give them hands-on with the game, so that they're familiar with it, they've got a feel for it, and they can play at a high level in the tournament, um, but but still not have any of the characters and whatnot that are a part of it leak out in advance. And and so we just worked with uh, with those guys, and they were great. Um, all the players and the announcers, and they were just so excited to be there and be a part of it that uh, they were more than happy to to cooperate. And of course, they understood the the approach that way. So then, was that like a boot camp where they invited early? Like how early? Sort of what what time frame or timetable are we talking here? Uh, well, we had rehearsals the day before, and so we you know and we talked with the development team and kind of lit, mapped out okay how you know these are top players. How long are we going to need to give them to for them to get a feel, get familiar with the the moves and the different characters and things like that? And so I, I don't recall now off the top of my head, but they had they had some hands on time the day before for for several hours. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love I love the you know I love the idea of taking these games and and turning you know creating events around them. Obviously, you know there's the, the whole esports scene. Like I'd love to see you know what happens with Mario Maker in the future. Just seeing the Super Mario Maker you know event at E3. That was the event that kind of that really sold us on the game. Like when you see it in a community setting and you have people watching someone overcome a very difficult level, there was something really special about that. I'd love to see like a focus like that again um, on kind of stage creation and like competition around that. Be really cool, right? Like people creating a level, having to beat it and then having someone who's never seen the level then try to beat it. That'd be really cool. Yeah, and it was, I mean, it. We felt really fortunate because, you know, we spent, uh, you know, Morgan and Eric on, on the, the Treehouse team, they spent uh, a lot of time designing those levels yep. and a lot of thought went into them and we had, we actually tested them out multiple times internally and iterated on them and it was, it was actually a big process and it was kind of eye-opening in terms of what it took to create four levels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Helps you understand development really quickly. Uh, <laughs> But uh, uh, but they also, you know, in that process, they had a vision for how they thought people were going to play and, and get through those levels. And it sort of, it ended up playing out almost to a T exactly how they hoped it would and, uh, and really kind of built those moments that I think, you know, gave a, a lot of excitement to that tournament. And in fact, one of my, my favorite things that I saw coming out of the Nintendo World Championships 
was uh, was when when Brian said, "I think I finally understand esports." <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's right. That's yeah. Right. No, it's just the 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 atmosphere was just so wonderful. Like, it was in a community no, setting, watching this, and I'm sure people who watched it at home had the same kind of like had a, a great reaction to it as well. But when you have a room with like 30 people, or even at the World Championships, you have way more. It's just there's something really special about that, and I can only imagine what it's going to be like once this game gets out into the wild and people create levels with it that we can't possibly imagine right now yeah so then what was the feedback from the nintendo world championship i mean do do does nintendo or nintendo of america see an opportunity to continue to deliver that maybe outside of e3 yeah we haven't we don't have any plans right now for for what else we might do with it other than we know people loved it um i think the real you know there's why you know there's there's a lot of reasons maybe why people loved it as much as they did and for some people there was a, a big dose of nostalgia mm-hmm. um, and and maybe it's you know the the thing that's kind of tough to gauge is is it the type of thing that you want to do every year or was it the type of thing that was special because it was the first time in 25 years and if you suddenly turn that into an every year thing is it going to be as special or is it going to feel as 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 unique. Um, and so, you know, we're only a, f- a few weeks outside of E3, so I think we, you know, we, everybody here had a, had a great time. You know, it was a lot of work putting it together, but I think they're, the team's really proud of, of what they did, and, and we're going to be looking at, okay, well, what, is there a future for the Nintendo World Championship, or is it something that maybe we'll, we'll put back in the drawer and, and pull out again a few years down the road? Yeah. So we're still, still thinking about all that. Okay. So then going back to uh, the levels that Morgan and Eric made, um, was there ever any fear that like players might not figure it out? <laughs> I mean, um, not, not to knock you guys at all, but you're not like developers by, by, the, by nature, right? Or, or that's not something that you generally have to do is make games um, mm-hmm. or levels more specifically. So I'm just curious, like, what were you guys going to do if they didn't? Well, I mean, that's, that's, again, why I say we felt really fortunate that it played out the way it did because it, it very easily could have turned out that, that they didn't figure it out. Um, and, and you kind of saw that with the very first level. And, and I, I can't remember if it was Cosmo or John Numbers, but the first player in the first level, got they, they hit sort of a wall that they couldn't really get past. And, uh, and then I think the, the worry began to seep in that, oh, man, if he can't do it, can the next guy do it? And if the next guy can't figure it out, and the first level, you know, they, neither one of them gets very far in the first level. The next levels are even harder than the first level, so what's, what's that going to mean for the next levels? But um, I think it, it just, you know, obviously the isolation, the isolation chamber that they used where, you know, we needed to do that so that one player didn't have an advantage over the other, but at the same time it, it could have resulted in neither player figuring out the key to getting through the level and... and uh, and risked, I think, exactly what you're referring to, which is the possibility of a tournament that ends up not being as fun as, as it was originally intended to. So I remember the exact moment you're talking about. There were a bunch of conveyor belts. It was, yeah. I think it was John Numbers, and it was trying to figure out how to get across and not being able to see that there was one more, I believe, above sort of the, yes. the, the, yeah. the border of the screen. And so it was just as, how does he figure it out? And I just, I guess I didn't realize how nervous, nerve-wracking that could have been for you guys. <laughs> 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 but that was, you know, that partly was why we we did so much iteration and testing of those levels. And we even we would, you know, the, they they would design the levels 
And then we, we brought, you know, we would have people that had never seen those levels sit down and try to play them for the first time and see where they got stuck and, and see where there were challenges and, and made adjustments based on that. So, Well, you can always add a little fairy at the end and go, hey, listen, when you right, run to right. the same spot for the 10th time. There you go. Hey, hey Bill, uh, with respect to those levels, um, I'm not sure if you guys have said anything about this, but will those levels be made available via download or anything? I mean, you do have an online portion of this game, just out of curiosity. So, uh, Jose, what this says to me is that you did not watch um, all of the Treehouse live segments uh, from... You know, I was running around <laughs> doing work. <laughs> you mean when we were at E3 working? <laughs> working, running from appointment to appointment? Come on, Bill, you got to cut me a break. What, what, what'd you say? T- tell so, me. So, uh, at, the, at the very end of day one mm. uh, of E3, Tuesday of E3, the very last segment on Treehouse Live, it starts off with Eric and Morgan... And just the two of them, and they're playing, replaying through the levels from the Nintendo World Championship. And um, what had happened was Mr. Miyamoto and Mr. Tezuka had had a discussion that day. And so they came on to end the day's worth of Nintendo Treehouse Live by announcing, unbeknownst to Morgan and Eric, that those four levels are going to be on the disc oh, in great. the final version of the game. Uh, which uh, the two of them, you, should, you really should go back and watch the segment because the two of them were just floored. They, <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't believe what they were hearing. <laughs> they wow. They didn't know how to That's react. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> that I, is I, really cool. Yeah, we'll look imagine. it up. No, definitely. I'll definitely watch it now. Um, Bill, thank you so much for uh, you know taking the time to talk to us, and uh, definitely good luck at Evo, dude. Like that's that's quite an order. I know I will be thank watching, will uh, and I will be rooting and seeing how you do. Yeah. So I think uh, I'm playing. Uh, what Friday 2 p.m. is uh, is when my pools bracket starts. So, you know, hopefully people will tune in Friday for the pools. And I think Wii U is on Saturday, and then uh, Melee is going to be the finals will be on Sunday. So it'll be a full weekend of competitive Smash for anyone who's interested. Excellent, excellent. All right, Bill. Well, thanks again, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on the show another time to have a more general conversation about Nintendo. Great, thank you. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Nintendo Voice Chat in the books, right? I mean, that was great. That was pretty cool. It was a uh, uh, special thanks to uh, special guest Bill Trennan from Nintendo Treehouse for taking some time to talk to us. Um, hopefully, we can have Bill on the show in the future to talk a little bit more generally. You know, we had to keep our topics limited to sort of what was on the horizon, but we always look forward to a chance to, uh, a chance to chat with those guys. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, I've got some Fire Emblem to play. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, me too. Uh, good luck with Chapter 5 if you're playing on hard. Right. That's all okay. i got to say. I've been getting wrecked. But uh, thank you for listening to Nintendo Voice Chat. We are a weekly show on IGN, but we are not the only podcast on IGN. In fact, there's an anime club. There is a podcast beyond. There was an awesome, absolutely amazing episode of Podcast Unlocked where not one, not two, but three Xbox bosses came out to sort of discuss uh, – the the origins of the platform, a whole bunch of stuff. Why don't you tell people it, why they should listen to this? Well, it was I actually got a little emotional in listening to it, and and you can you can watch the video, or you can listen to it in, in podcast form uh, in podcast unlock. But yeah, it was you know the three kind of three of the big Xbox leaders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, talking Phil Spencer, about the, uh, uh, Peter Moore, Peter Moore, and Seamus Blackley, and Seamus Blackley, and Seamus obviously you know launch team of the Xbox, mm-hmm. Peter Moore Xbox 360 days. He's now at EA, and he. Peter Moore was there when 
Xbox ran into a huge issue, the three red lights, right? Yep. Um, and he tells the story of going to his boss and saying, this is a billion-dollar yeah. problem. Steve Ballmer. What will we do? And yeah. Bomber basically saying, we got to eat that. we got to make this right. Mm-hmm. Let's FedEx boxes out to people. Like, it's really, really fascinating. And then um, Phil Spencer is just, it's, I feel like Xbox leadership is in really good hands with him. He's a real gamer. You can tell that he knows the subject matter like no other. And so just hearing those three in the different perspectives, they're all three very different people, but like bluntly talk about um, the experience with the Xbox is really cool. Yeah, so you should definitely very, check very, that very out. Treat, whether, yeah. whether or not, uh, just for the quality of the interview, which was very well done, hats off to Ryan McCaffrey, uh, fellow editor here at IGN who did a great job putting that together. Be, I mean, it'd be amazing if we could ever get together, you know, the some of the American leads, obviously it's always a problem with the Japanese translation. Yes, yes. Um, you know, it's 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 hard, like you wouldn't, Arakawa probably wouldn't want to talk about Nintendo today anymore, yeah. right? But mm-hmm. like, could you get like Howard Lincoln and Peter Main and Reggie in a room? Yeah. It'd be so freaking awesome. No, but. yeah, and this definitely has caused us to raise the bar yeah. uh, in terms of guest quality. So we will definitely be looking at ways to do that. But definitely check that out. Uh, you can also leave us feedback on the show by emailing us at nvc at ign.com or head on over to iTunes. Let us know what you think. Leave a show review. We are always curious to hear your feedback. Lastly, you can find us on Twitter. You can find so Trinan's on Twitter, but what is Trintran? Yeah, just Trintran, right? Yeah. Okay, at Trintran, you can find him there. Mm-hmm. You can find Pear Schneider at Pear IGN, and you can find myself Jose underscore Otero. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back next week with more Nintendo Voice Chat. <laughs> <laughs>